0: Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley. Today, my co-host, Pastor Lance Hahn, and I are going to talk about telling the truth. A growing body of research is showing that facts simply do not change minds, and some are going so far as to say that we are a post-truth society. What is it that makes telling the truth difficult? Why does telling the truth matter? How can our Christian faith help us to be more truthful people, both in how we see the world and how we see ourselves? All of this and more on this episode of Engaging Culture. All right, season two, episode six of the Engaging Culture podcast. Here we go. I am Brian Kiley, joined by... Lance Hahn. I'm Lance Hahn. That's strange that you
1: just referred to me. I Um, I was not on the last couple episodes and I just want to tell all of our audience, I'm sorry. Sorry I wasn't here. I know that it's far more interesting when I'm here. (laughs) It's
0: much more interesting. So, for the sake of all of you, our listeners. Yes.
1: I would also like to point out that currently, if you're watching on the Open Portal, we do these shows live. So, those of you that listen to it on podcast, we do these shows live just so people can see what we're wearing. That's right. Right? So, if we're wearing (laughs) something nice. or I did did my hair slightly different today just for the uh, show today. um, But I have a heater here. Because I am freezing. It is a thousand degrees outside,
0: and you... Have a heater I have on, a heater on in here
1: because in here it is similar to a meat locker. That's all right, right. it so is quite cold. The benefits is that no one is aging currently in this room. <laughs> That's right. We are in cryogenic freezing. <laughs> Basically so being frozen. That is beautiful. All right, I'm going to go ahead and kick this thing off. So all right. um, Let's do I know it. a lot of times you always end up starting. I would like to start today. So well, fine. There we go. Um, all right, so you mentioned in the introduction and also the title here is Telling the Truth in a Post Truth Society. What
0: do you mean by post truth society? So post truth, I'm just going to get real nice and nerdy here. And just, we're just going to go dictionary definition here. So this is from Oxford Dictionary defines post truth as this relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So post-truth means yep. objective reality, 2 plus 2 is 4, does not matter as much as, but how do you really feel about 2 plus 2 being 3? Doesn't that make you feel good? I mean, that's a silly example, but totally. that's, that's kind of the idea, that that emotion and personal belief matters a lot more than objective reality. Now, there are some who argue, and I was reading some interesting articles about this in the last few days, there are some who argue that humans have always been a post-truth. <laughs> society that appeals to emotion have always mattered more than objective reality. And and we'll maybe get into that a little bit later, but I think it's, it's been interesting to me that I've seen in kind of recent months, you know, into years maybe, but more recent months, just this idea of post truth and that facts really don't matter that much seems to be more and more of a conversation that, that I'm hearing publicly that I'm hearing in the media and that all is just is very puzzling to me. So I thought it'd be an interesting thing for us to talk about on the show. And it relates to even yeah. how we think about ourselves. So. No, I think that that's absolutely true. Uh, let me just ask you this. Um, would you say that that is simply
1: increasing because the younger generation is rising up and they are a relativistic
0: postmodern world? Uh, I, mean, I think <laughs> that could be a part of it. Does it tie in there? I think that could be a part of it. But but no, I don't think that. I, I think, does it tie in? Yes. Uh, the fact that we live in a postmodern world in which objective truth is questioned more and more in some ways, I think that's positive. In other ways, I think that's negative. That's another conversation for another day. Uh, however, in my experience, I think the older generation is is as susceptible, if not more susceptible to not really caring about facts that much and just appeals to emotion or, or confirming what we already think and things like that. So I think that, uh, you know, we could get into the different causes I think it's multifaceted. I, I think postmodernism plays a part, but I don't think it's the whole explanation. Okay, what do you
1: think? Well, well let, me, let me ask you something else. Uh, um, I like asking questions. Okay, all right, great. I love I'm on the spot questions. here. Um, so <laughs> if you go further back in time, we go into a bit more areas of superstition and myth and fable and folklore, right? Right. And then all of a sudden, allegedly, we have this enlightenment period where we're going to go to science or we're going to go to facts and everything, yet there was still a lot of bizarre stuff. So how does that shift relate to this? Because if if we're talking about emotion matters, wasn't that like traditional history has been far more Mm -hmm. based on emotion?
0: Emotion in what sense?
1: Well, just rather than facts. So you would say... um,
0: Uh, hey, this happened because I think he has a disease and you go, nope, it must be a demon. Yeah, yeah. well, I think that in in pre-modern times, we had the idea of kind of, well, this just sort of feels right. I look out on the horizon and I see nothing. Therefore, it stands to reason from my limited point of view that the world is flat. Yes. Uh, or, or, you know, what you said about, you know, this disease is caused by X, Y, and Z because we don't understand things like bacteria. We don't understand viruses. We don't understand all of that different stuff. So so decisions were being made based on very limited information in right. a pre-scientific world. Now, science has helped a lot of that. So we know that different diseases are caused by, you know, we know what causes diseases. We know that the world is round. We know that there are seven continents and all of these different things. By the way, I was very paranoid. I was going to like come up with some very basic example that would be wrong. So Seven Continents, pretty sure I'm good on that one. <laughs> yeah, I I was cross-checking your, but, your facts. But I mean, I think that uh, the that same mentality still exists of, I want to think things based on my limited information, and I'm skeptical of new information. I mean, you think about in the pre-modern, I mean, how recently was it that Galileo had his yeah. excommunication from the Catholic Church? Uh, recently, like pretty recently. But I feel like you know. that's hitting at the heart of where, what we're starting with, right? It's the
1: idea that there are facts, but we have we have systems yeah. built on the prior truth. Yeah. So to engage with new information will dismantle those systems. Right. And it's not worth the cost of yeah. saying,
0: I'm right if I'm going to lose. Right. Now, why is it, do you think, why do you think that that sort of thinking makes us so uncomfortable, that re-examining prior held beliefs, whether they're about ourselves or about the world or about a person or about an institution, why is it that that, that re-examining prior beliefs makes us so uncomfortable? Because I think it does. I think that's an important point. Okay. Well, I'm going to go back to what I just said a moment ago. We've built entire
1: systems and networks based on the truth that we have right now. So for example, if we have consistent, and this is going to be totally sad example. I just realized I'm so sorry. Let's say for example, um, you're interacting with your parents and you are, um, uh, you have always told stories your whole life Mm -hmm. about the fact, Oh my gosh, my parents are like this. And I've always been like this and me and my siblings and everything. And you've told stories around the campfire, you've made friends and everything. And then you find out you're adopted Mm -hmm. and you went, Oh, shoot. All those stories of I have brown eyes because my dad has brown eyes. Yeah. That's actually wrong now. Yeah. That's not your biological father. That's not your biological mom. You had all these interactions and created a whole world that was actually based on false Mm -hmm. or fantasy. And so now you have to revisit and all the things that you've said to other people. Well, you know what? It's, you know, my mom did this and my dad did that. They're all wrong. Dismantling that entire thing and going back through and saying, What have I been wrong about mm-hmm. is exhausting and mm-hmm. it's scary.
0: Yeah. The process of deconstruction is very scary and it's a lot of work because if you deconstruct without reconstructing, you're just a mess. You're just, yeah, and you're left with less. <laughs> but to, we don't want less. Yeah.
1: The other thing is that I think it's going to be increasingly hard in society the faster we move because we do not have time to. Meditate, we do not, and I don't mean meditate, I mean meditate in a sense of reflection. Sure. We don't have time to process. We are in a very fast-paced society, which means you got to take facts or truth and run. Well, when you have to revisit, it means you have to stop, back up, well, you just became inefficient. So yeah. I think that there, there's certainly a lot of ch- changes or chances that for the people to block
0: it out. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. It is. It is. If efficiency is your goal, then really critical thinking becomes becomes a challenge because it is, it is by kind of by nature an inefficient process. Now we're talking about telling the truth about the world around us, but we also want to talk about telling the truth about ourselves. Certainly scripture has a lot to say about that. And, and that's an important idea. What, what do you, when we talk about telling the truth about ourselves, yeah. what do you mean by that? Or how would you define that? Well, as much as we live in fantasy about things
1: outside and around us, for example, we'll say things like the world is safe it may or may not be. We say the world is unsafe. Well, it may or may not be. But but we we kind of speak about our outside world in things that may or may not be true. Mm-hmm. We do the same thing about ourselves. Now, this is I'm going to use a funny analogy on this one just to get this thing started. Excellent. I avoid mirrors. <laughs> and here's why I
0: understand why. And here's why.
1: <laughs> here's why. I am a supermodel. I don't know if you guys know this, but if you're, watching, if you're watching it on video, this will be problematic for you. But for those of you that are listening uh, on audio, I'm actually a supermodel. Uh,
0: until I come into a mirror...
1: And then I realize I'm not a supermodel, and that's very discouraging.
0: So in your own mind, in you're own just mind. the most handsome individual who has ever graced God's green earth. Uh, my body and certainly looks a, a lot better
1: than it does in real life. A
0: mirror confronts you with the reality that perhaps you're not.
1: Yeah, so I avoid mirrors, and the more I avoid mirrors, the more I can keep this false world alive, and I can walk around with more confidence, because I'm like, you know what? As a supermodel, what do I got to worry about? And then I go in front of a mirror and I'm like, goodness gracious, what happened? And it feels like maybe I got ran over by a truck or something. But anyway, the point is, is I think that when we talk about telling the truth to ourselves, I, I think that we're being honest about who we are, what are our limitations, um, telling the truth to ourselves about what do people really think, or what do I really think, or or how am I really interacting with the world? Where is my status? These types of things, right? right. These are all um, truth telling issues. So I'm gonna I'm gonna right. throw the question back to you, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we're gonna do that. And be honest with ourselves, right? What I'm still m- hung up on the
0: supermodel thing. I know. I'm, just, I'm I gonna know. have a really hard time. Lucian, our audio engineer, he's laughing over there. I see him. Yes. We're all laughing. I, That's pretty funny. I told funny. you you were gonna learn new things about <laughs> I, me. You did warn me before we went on air. Um, okay,
1: ahead. so let me ask you this. Yeah. What makes that process of actually telling ourselves the truth? What makes that so difficult? So many
0: things. Okay. So many things make make telling the truth, being honest about ourselves, being honest about the world a uh, Difficult. Uh, to your point about the supermodels and the mirrors. So as as funny as that is, it's a great example, right? Because living in in a, a world which we have sort of constructed for ourselves, which yes. may or may not connect to reality. I mean, it may, and I say it, may or may not. It sure. may or may not it connect may. with reality. Yeah. Uh, that is much safer. Yes. Than dealing with reality. Yes. That is much safer than having to confront what's going. If I'm going to really tell the truth about who I am, if I'm going to tell the truth about what motivates me, it's scary. It's scary, and it forces me to deal with uncomfortable realities. I want to believe that uh, I always am a kind and, and giving person. Yes. I heard this. This is stupid. I don't know why I'm even sharing this, but I heard this, this weird line the other day where somebody said... I like to think that I'm a person who cares about others, but whenever I make a sandwich, I take bread from the middle of the loaf. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> That's you know, actually very it's witty. It's sort of like you have to kind of confront the reality. Like, well, this is... I'm making a selfish decision right that now, is, right? That is like...
1: Okay. Uh, and let me, let me just comment on Go that ahead. real quick. Yeah, Smoking. What about it? Okay. So we... It is safer to believe that I can smoke and it's really not going to affect me. Yeah. On the package, <laughs> it literally says we're killing you right now <laughs> you know what I'm saying yeah. but you want to smoke and, and and really if you're gonna confront I am shortening my lifespan yeah. right now right dude that is terrifying yeah.
0: I'm sorry okay go back well no I think that's a great great point so what we do is we end up uh, doing all sorts of kind of mental gymnastics yes. to make us feel better about the choices we make to make us feel better about the things that we're doing to make us you know oh well I'll start working out tomorrow like that kind of yes. a thing and and when we have to deal with, well, no, actually I'm living a very unhealthy lifestyle, whether yes. it's because of drinking or substance whatever, uh, that's, I have to deal with that reality. I said drinking, I meant to say smoking. Oh, well, both, both apply. <laughs> that's but all right. anyways, for me, it's cheeseburgers, uh, for cheeseburgers, whatever your, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and then, uh, avoidance and deflection is really easy right? Oh, to just yeah. not have to deal with uncomfortable truth is is really, really easy. And then uh, this is my favorite, and I, I spent some time nerding out on this in preparation for the episode, is uh, our brains play all sorts of tricks on us that cause us to believe things that are not true. In fact, if you go to Wikipedia and search for list of cognitive biases, there are 185 of them listed. I actually didn't count that many. Another article told me that many. So maybe there are more now, but there are all sorts of different ways where we, where our brain tricks us into not believing things that or into believing things that are not true. So probably the most pervasive, for example, is confirmation bias. Okay. That you and I what are har- are hardwired with the tendency to believe things that support that which we already believe. Okay, yes. Right. Give me an example. So, uh, for example, they did a study. I was reading about this last night. Uh, what was it about? It was about uh, gun violence. Okay. I think it was. They, were giving, they gave two groups of people data about gun violence. One group of people identified themselves as very pro-gun control. The other group identified themselves as very anti-gun control. Oh, uh, no. What it was is they gave both groups two different studies, one that showed... One that showed gun violence was being a real problem and one showing that gun control would not work. And basically, very high percentage of the pro-gun control crowd said, well, the gun control article is credible, the other is not. Of course. And then the other side said the opposite. Yes. Right? So that's just a, kind of a silly example, but that was a study. No, that's good. Funded by a major university somewhere uh, showing that we tend to except that's with that which we already already believe. And I've talked about this in a lot of different environments, just that we need to recognize that about ourselves, that we have a tendency to just buy what we already think. And we have a tendency to reject that which, we, that which goes against our thinking. So I try to be mindful of that all the time as I'm reading the news, as I'm engaging with ideas. When I find myself immediately wanting to reject something, I just try to say, okay, Am I rejecting that because it's really not true or am I rejecting it because it's challenging what I believe? Right. Um, Okay. So I I was just jotting a note down right here. We have,
1: and this is something that I've noticed um, probably a little bit more in the last maybe three to five years. We have an extraordinary fear of being wrong. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's, and it's not a normal fear. It, 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 overrides Even other fears. So, for example, we would rather live jaded, suspicious, and negative just to avoid being wrong. Because the idea of being duped or the idea that you believe something wrong is so offensive to us, we will wall ourselves off. And it's interesting. And I don't know if it's just sheer pride. Right. You just don't want to be wrong. Or if there's just, I don't want to dismantle my world. I don't want to lose everything. Yeah. But man, we will go to extraordinary lengths to not be wrong. Yeah. And so when you read an article and you go, No, 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 I'm sure I was right. I I, I must be right. Man, that is so I don't know all the reasons why we always have to be right. Cause here's the deal the the Bible has a, a verse that says Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a very optimistic, trusting posture. Yeah, I don't see many Christians living in that at all. Hmm. As a matter of fact, I believe that society has made us very, very uh, harsh towards things. Mm-hmm. And we will put down things. It's probably not true. We're very negative. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that aligns up very well with Scripture. Yeah. But we would rather violate God's Word then be wrong or be duped. Yeah. We never want anyone to take one over on us. But yet the the way that I've always shared with people that if, if you get left by your spouse, let's say your spouse cheats on you and you have no idea and you're devastated. Mm-hmm. Every time they come to me and they say, I am devastated. I said, that's because you were doing it right. The reason mm-hmm. why you're devastated is you didn't live suspicious. You went into that trusting mode. And I know the cost is high. Yeah. But would you have rather lived a whole life of suspicion just to avoid this feeling right here?
0: Hmm. Yeah. Or
1: can we be trusting and optimistic and still survive? Right. So anyway, yeah. no, I kind of got off.
0: No, I think that's really interesting. Now, I want to I dig a little bit more into this idea of of, of this fear of being wrong. Now, you, you just kind of said, well, we're not really sure why, or you kind of yeah. gave some different ideas. I don't know. What do you think? Why is it that we're so afraid of being wrong? Because I, I think you're hitting on something really important here. And there's some mystery to it, for sure. So I'm not asking you to, hey, solve this <laughs> grand question of humanity. But but what do you think are the key factors there?
1: Well, I, I do think that um, one of the factors is pride. I think that we have lampooned um, stupid people in media. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, for example, as long as we've had visual media, and even before then it was puppet shows, and you, know, you start going back into the old school way before we ever had media. Right. There is a lampooning. There is a making fun of Hmm. somebody that is duped. Yeah. And so you are a fool, and everyone laughs at you.
0: If you're... If you're wrong. Yeah.
1: And so our fear throughout history has been shaped. Don't ever be wrong or someone's going to laugh at you. Hmm. That fear of humiliation... Yeah. ...makes you live in denial because it's
0: too harsh. you? Okay, so I think there's more to it. Totally. What do you think? Well, and that... like. I struggle with that so much because on the one hand I get it. Like there's a fear of being duped. There's a fear Mm -hmm. of being made made known that that, that you're wrong. But at the same time, like what's worse? Yeah. To be to be shown to be wrong or to live your entire life in denial of the fact that you were wrong. (laughs) I just you know like I get that there is yes. a present cost to having to have our our views changed because of information. I get that there's a present cost to realizing like man, I just like what I believe about the world or what I believe about the situation just doesn't hold up to to analysis or, or or objective study. Like I get that that's not comfortable, but I feel like that is way less bad than having to live your life. In a lie, having to live your life, kind of believing things that are not true. I mean, it's it's another one of our cognitive biases that I think is so interesting. is It's the idea of the sunk cost fallacy, which says, uh, I've already um, this movie is lousy. It is totally unentertaining. I've spent an hour and fifteen minutes here and spelt, spent twelve dollars on my ticket, so I'm going to continue sitting through this movie. Right, it's like I've already spent a lot of money. I've yep. already spent a lot of time. I'm investing. I may as well invest more. Or, or I was talking to a friend the other day who who is in a profession that required a lot of education. And he told me, he said, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And he said he has people coming to him saying, Well, you did all this work, and you know, spent all this yes. money on student loans and everything else. Like, you've invested so much. And he he said it right back to me. He's like, That's the sunk cost fallacy. Like, I've already invested a lot in something I've determined I don't like. I'm not going to continue to invest another 30 years of my life. And I think that's, but I think a lot of us do that, whether it's in stuff that we've committed ourselves to that we think is no longer worthwhile or in ideas where we say, well, this is who I've always been my whole life and to change my thinking is uncomfortable. So I'm going to continue down this path. I'm going to isolate myself from anything that would challenge what I think, whether it's about myself or about something outside of myself. And I'm just going to kind of keep trucking. Man, I just think that's a that's a tough way to live in my opinion.
1: Okay, so I'm going to use I'm going to tell a funny example and then I I'm going to push a question back to you that is more serious. Does it involve being a supermodel? Um, no, that's just a fact. Um, so here's the deal. So for a long time, I don't know, I wasn't really raised in a house where somebody said you have to eat everything on your plate. Okay. But I have somehow become that guy. (laughs) All right. So I have portion control problems right now. I mean, if you look at me, I actually have to, you know, I look very, very trim, but I actually have to work at it. Right. Because, medication stop my metabolism do we really need to get into this brian no we don't okay. you brought it up well anyway <laughs> so i i but when there's food on my table i'm almost like hey i bought the burrito supreme i'm going to finish, finish it. the burrito supreme yeah. and if i bought a lot of food i'm going to finish it i'm always about finishing i don't know if that's because I don't want to have any mess. It's like the one thing I can control, so I'm going to clean it up and I throw it away. I like accomplishment because my whole world is very non-accomplishment based. Mm. Anyway, these are all therapy things. Thank you, everyone, for helping me out with the therapy today. But anyway, so here's what what has happened recently that has helped me with portion control. Okay, let's hear it. Is I said, okay, yes, I spent five bucks on this enormous burrito. And you're right. I can say I already sunk five bucks into it i need to get my monies out of it right my money's worth mm-hmm. where i have now shifted it is i went when i'm done with this burrito and i feel so heinous how much would i pay to feel better <laughs> and i went i'll at least pay three bucks to feel better so i'll just eat two dollars of this burrito and we'll move on so hey i'm just telling you i use my brain for good i like that's it. what i'm trying I to like it. You. all right now shifting over into a, a, a serious question for you yeah you were if somebody didn't know you and you were talking about all that and you're saying this doesn't make sense to me and everything else that you know living a fallacy and not not being challenged, they would say,, um, well, hold on, you're coming across kind of like an intellectual snob. You're a Christian. Mm-hmm. You are living in that world, dude. You're telling me God created the world. Mm-hmm. You're refusing to look at the facts. That we have evolution. You're refusing to look at the facts. You as a Christian keep saying, there are miracles. There is no facts. And you're trying to tell me that you don't ever want to live in a fallacy, but living by faith Mm -hmm. is a fallacy. Right? This whole religious, you know, religiouslessness. I don't even know what it's called. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Religious. religious. Bill Maher. Yes, I got you. I got you.
1: Anyway, I can't even
0: say it. So that's. (laughs) But anyway, but once again,
1: you're saying, I want to live in the truth. I want to live in the truth. And yet... The very attack from the world is that you're living in a bubble as a Christian, yeah. not believing the facts around you. Yeah. What do you man, say, man? Oh that?
0: man, how much time do we have? I have a <laughs> lot of thoughts on that. Yeah, go um, for it. But I, I don't. I don't want to spend the whole. I don't want to spend too much on it. But but I think first of all, you're absolutely right that 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 exists out there. But at the same time, I think that there and 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 I'm going to say this, and this may not be popular, but again, I think it's true. In a lot of cases, Christians have given the world. Ample fodder to make those attacks. Absolutely, And I think by believing things, uh, by, by holding things as fundamental that are not funda- fundamental fundamental yes. by sort of refusing to engage the world by, by, by failing to recognize the Bible for what it actually is. And instead sort of cherry picking it to support different things and, and this and that, um, but I think it's one thing to say, let's think critically about the scriptures. Let's think critically about the world. Let's try to observe the world around us. Let's see what does science have to say? What does culture have to say? What does society have to say? What does the Bible have to say? I'm not at all suggesting those things are equal. Don't don't hear me saying that. But to be able to make sense of the world through a lens of faith that is not Trying to block out what the world has to say, that is not trying to block out different sources of insight, but instead is actually engaging with them critically and trying to determine, okay, what is true in the midst of everything that I'm hearing? I mean, even it was interesting in the course of of preparing for this episode I was reading an article in it was either the Guardian or the Atlantic I don't remember one of the one of these big publications and uh the author was talking about post truth and everything else and sort of all of his examples were kind of bashing religious faith yes. there was actually a lot of interesting stuff in the article but like so much of it was kind of on that that I just was like yeah I don't here's the point I'm trying to make in even bringing it up is to say I can engage with this idea of, okay, what does it mean to be a truthful person? I can engage with people who say, well, religion is this example of our refusal to sort of acknowledge right. plain reality around us. But I think that there's space to push back on that. I think I there's agree. space to say, okay, first of all, not all spirituality is equal. Nope. Second of all, there is a way to have faith in something beyond ourselves that at the same time is still able to think rationally about the world in front of us. I mean, I think of anything I'm, I'm hyper rational to a fault. I think it irritates people in my life. How Me. rational I like you, for example, how, how rational I can be about, about different things. But I think that, uh, any, wor- but I think there's also this side of thing. Any worldview that you have. Yes. Requires some modicum of faith. Yes. So it's sort of no the same question. way that we say everybody worships something like my yes. relatives who, who don't believe in God or, or just don't care. Like, the fact that they're, that doesn't mean they're not worshipers. The That's people right. that we're going to encounter in the world who, who, who may not be people who even identify as spiritual people at all, they're still worshipers. That's right. Everybody's a worshiper. And then at the same time, everybody has faith in something. Uh, there are a lot of unanswered questions that we have about the world. So I would say to somebody who says, well, you say you're all about truth, but you're a Christian. I would say, well, yeah, I don't see those two things as being opposite. I think that my commitment to being a Christian and my commitment to telling the truth, those things go hand in hand. And I am willing, I am willing to think critically about, what I believe about God. I'm willing to think critically about what the Bible tells us. I am willing, and I've done it many times in the past, to deconstruct things I think and then reconstruct something else in their place in the pursuit of really believing and living out what is true. Um, so I, I think that that would be my kind of knee response. No, that's super good. Re- I think response.
1: that, because if God is truth... If there really is a God, then that is the wisest course of action. Yeah. To not believe in God would be the foolish course of action, right? right. Um, I think that – I just wanted to point out the irony uh, that I think that the world would look at and say a Christian podcast is talking about interacting with facts honestly. I think that the world with a different worldview would look at us and say the irony of that is absurd. Like you would – now, yeah. you and I don't see it that way. Yeah. We are very much about digging for the truth, and we believe that the Christian worldview is most true, yeah. that it actually makes sense of reality more than a false truth. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me transition one other piece to that, and that is I think that – okay, so I've been doing a lot of uh, research lately on um, historical racism, Right, which which is a kind of the eugenics and the taxonomy and anthropology. These are all fancy words to say when we were trying to sort out what human beings were like. Mm-hmm. And the guy that was coming up with, there are this many races in the world and everything, all this stuff that's been proven wrong, so he was the leading scientist. Right, That concept was for hundreds of years. Yeah. And for, after him, it was a hundred years. It was the leading scientist science at the time highest level science said let's measure the skull mm-hmm. let's measure the width and the um he would actually fill it with lead shot and weigh it and yeah. the bigger the brain was the smarter you were <laughs> okay now yeah. that in 2000 was not only debunked it was crushed right. by the human genome project right saying there is no such thing as races there is only one race the human race and it came from one pair, one mm-hmm. couple mm-hmm. that we call them Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. So once again, science was wrong right. for a long time. Yeah. Now, the reason why I bring that up is sometimes, and I think ever increasingly so in our culture, we have seen science be debunked so many times mm-hmm. that we don't trust what are called facts anymore. Mm-hmm. If somebody brings us new facts, we go, you know what? They've been wrong before. Yeah, I don't believe it. And so I do think that there is some good reason to stay in your truth and not always flip flop just because you got new information. Right. And I think internally we go, you know what, forget it. I'm not changing my mind. Those people have been wrong for a long time.
0: Yeah, well, and that's that's certainly true. And that, is, that was another thing that was brought up by a few different articles I read is that uh, it, it was sort of uh, lifting up the benefit of paying attention to scientific inquiry, for example. So wanting to know, okay, what is science saying? What is the scientific community saying about X, Y, and Z? But then it brought up that very point to say that, well, you know, uh, first fat was bad for you. Now sugar is bad for you. Now carbs are bad for you. Well, now it turns out that, you know, big sugar paid off the researchers at Harvard to say that fat was bad and not sugar was bad, and there's a lot of you know, yes. okay, a red red wine uh, in the evening will, will help uh, help with your heart. Well, actually, no, it doesn't. It causes all these. So there's a lot of stuff about the world that we're trying to figure out, yes, and and a lot of ways in which science has been wrong in the past, and there or lies have distorted and li- it, and or lies and, and corruption have distorted it. Certainly, that's that's true, um, and and science is going to be wrong in the future. However. That does not mean that the process itself is invalid nor does it mean that we should isolate ourselves You're right. from all of it because I think anybody would agree that scientific progress has been a net gain for humanity over, you know, our history. We understand disease better, we understand uh, the way the world works better, we understand uh, kind of our atmosphere better, we understand the human body better. There's so many ways in which it helps. But we have to understand science, like basically anything else humans put their hands to, is not perfect. And, you know, yes. a little bit of skepticism is not totally unwarranted.
1: Nope. I'm so, with you. I'm so, with you.
0: Yeah, that's certainly true. Now, uh, where are we going next? I don't even know. What are we going to talk about? Um, what does the Bible have to say? First of all, let's talk about this. Yeah. A little bit more. So here's about what- this. Uh, just concept of truthfulness in general. So, go well, ahead.
1: Here's what I love. Uh, one of the many, many things I love about Christianity. Christianity is raw and it's honest and it's willing to engage with anything. So, there's nothing that you should feel like you have to shy away from in terms of intellectual debate. Yeah. The Bible says, "Listen, I want to go all in because my Jesus will stand up to any scrutiny. My my faith will stand up to. Any, I may not have all the facts right now." That doesn't mean that it's not right. Yeah. And so the Bible, when it talks about truthfulness, it talks about living in transparency. It talks about living as things really are. The Bible never talks about living in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but um, I have written a book. Did you know oh. that, Brian? Did you write a book? Really? Yeah, I talk called? about it periodically. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, I wrote two, oh, which means wow. I'm twice all as right. good as someone that wrote one. Well, there you go. But anyway, uh, the book was called The Master's Mind, uh, The Art of Reshaping Your Thoughts. And, and in that, I was talking about how much that our minds get tricked and all this stuff, that we mm-hmm. live in fantasy. And what I explained was I said, God has given us tools... To fight real enemies, not fantasy enemies, right? So, for example, I have panic disorder. Mm -hmm. I'm scared of things that are not real. Well, God didn't need to give me tools to fight an unreal enemy. You know what I'm saying? So, in the Bible, it ends up talking over and over and over about truthfulness. That is a huge deal. So, uh, I did a devotion this morning for our staff um, as we were talking, and I read this this verse, it was Philippians four eight. whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And the idea was, if it's right and good and godly and holy, get your head there. Yeah. Stay in the truth. Yeah. Um, John eight, uh, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, meaning if you walk or live in my truth, you are truly my disciples, mm-hmm. you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Going even further, he said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth and the life. Mm-hmm. Meaning if you want to find out reality, you got to come after me. Right. So Jesus was saying, "I am the standard. I yep. know all the th- stuff going on. I've been to all dimensions. Yep. I've been into the spiritual. I've been in the physical. I'm the king of this creation. Mm-hmm. I know everything. I am your truth." Yep. And so the Bible really stay tells us to stay in the place of transparency, mm-hmm. honesty, authenticity, and really looking at the world rightly. Mm-hmm. Don't be tricked by the false things of the world. Right. Look through it. Right. Don't let the advertising, don't let the manipulation, don't let the the current leaders distort you. Mm-hmm. Keep your head in the game. So honestly, Christianity yeah. Christianity is a champion
0: for truth. Right. And it's it it's so fundamental to I think Christian witness in the world is is being kind of holistic truth tellers. And I love the fact that the Bible connects Telling the truth to freedom. I mean, the verse you just said from from John: "You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." That kind of the freedom that that God wants for us is connected to us being truthful people. And insofar as we're not truthful people, we're held in some sort of captivity. And and I think almost as significantly, and this is this is why uh, I mean, so much of our kind of public discourse that that a lot of people of faith engage in that that to me is really not rooted in truth and is instead rooted in kind of tribalism or, or just defending our causes. Sure. (laughs) Despite their (laughs) righteousness or lack thereof. Uh, This is why it bothers me so much is that if we can't tell the truth It harms our credibility before a watching world. If we are disseminating lies, if we are spreading things that are not true, if we're accepting and tolerating things that are not true because they help our cause or help things that we already think, I just don't understand why we should expect the world to take us seriously when we say things like, Jesus didn't tell the truth. Jesus is the truth. And they're saying, well, I see the stuff you post online. I see the way that you behave in your personal life. I see kind of your questionable ethics in these different areas. I see what you're like to work with. I see what you say about people when they're not around. I see what you're willing to do to get ahead. It's pretty clear to me that truth is not a big deal in your life. I don't really have, you don't have a lot of credibility to talk to me about Jesus. I think that that happens more than we realize. Here's what's funny about that. So that
1: is a huge pet peeve for me, right? Um. You're the only one that hates it more than I do. Like literally, I do. I really hate it. It is super funny because I'm like, I'm like, I will get fired up until I get next to you.
0: Don't bring it up next to Brian. He's really gonna. Oh shoot, Brian's here.
1: Um, So, well, let's let's kind of camp on that as we kind of turn the corner towards the the end of this podcast. But so the subject of true telling seems to be one that really interests you, not just oh, yeah. your pet peeve that you just yep. jumped on, yep. right? But but this is kind of a big deal to you. Can you give me some thoughts or some reasons why that is such a big deal in you?
0: Yes, I, I I have many, many thoughts. I will break them up briefly. You totally did the pastor thing where you said, as we get to the end of this podcast, we have like 20 minutes to go. Oh,
1: no, 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 that is the pastor. <laughs> <bit>. <laughs> it's like, and in and closing, have hour. I have eight more points. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no. Please, yeah, no, let me let me not deceive you. We will go really we've, we've, long. We've got some time. Okay, praise uh, the Lord.
0: So, so uh, yeah, so telling the truth, just sort of trying to be honest about the world around us is very important to me, and it's something that matters to me a lot. And uh, the first is, even given everything we've discussed mm-hmm. about why telling the truth is difficult, I still don't really get it. I still don't really get why we as humans have such a difficult time telling the truth or even attempting to be objective about the world in front of us. I will give a stupid example, silly example, to kind of illustrate a broader point. Um, as you know, I love sports. I attend lots of sporting events and, and all of that. Yes, And it irritates... I feel like I've maybe talked about this on this the podcast before. Hey, that's okay. What irritates me is like hyper-partisan crowds. Yes. Like, so for example, I was at a game once Kings were playing the jazz. The Kings were ahead by one and the jazz make a basket at the very end. And from my my spot in the upper deck, I thought, Oh my gosh, that's basket interference, which means the basket wouldn't count. Right. And Oh, the Kings would win. Well, sure enough, they called basket interference and everybody's all excited. The Kings win. Well, then they say they're going to review it. They showed the play one time on the screen, and I only I'm not a professional referee. I only had to watch it once. That is not basket interference. Basket's good. Kings are gonna lose. Game's over. And sure enough, that was and it was like it was obvious. It wasn't really that close. Again, my initial perception was from, you know, the nosebleed seats. So right. we make the announcement and everybody starts booing and getting all mad and everything else. Like I get we're disappointed that the Kings lost the game, but like it's clearly the right call. Yes. Right? And I think in that's sports and that's silly and whatever. It irritates me, but it doesn't really matter. But we do this thing in society as well, in larger issues and moral issues and social issues where we don't really care that much about what's true, we just care about defending what we think yes. and attacking the other. I was listening to a really interesting interview with a guy I'd never heard of before, and, and, he, and I did some research on him, and I don't think he's a guy I would agree with on much, but he made a really interesting point. He said, we've reached a point as a society where anything is permissible as long as it offends the right people. Wow. And I thought, I think that's really true. So I don't get, I, and I just, I, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. Why do we care so much? about defending what we think? Why are we so willing to do things that offend people that are different than us? And then, of course, take offense when things are done to us. Why is it that we can't just be, you know, tell the truth about what's going on around us, even though so many different studies have confirmed that this kind of, you know, appearance we have of rationality is a ruse and we're all incredibly irrational people. I have a hard time with that. And again, just okay, her- well here's where I can connect in with you on this. Yep. So,
1: I think that there are some areas where we can't, I think a lot of times is that we don't want to. And and what that boils down to me, and this is where I get on my pet peeve thing, yep, is selfishness bothers me. Yeah. Um I I've been kind of raised on Jesus and he's my hero and mm-hmm. so I kind of whether I live in complete uh, alignment with him or not is is I don't even think it's debatable. I can tell you mm-hmm. it's not. I'm not mm-hmm. living in complete alignment. Right. But but all my world inside is built by Jesus, and Jesus yeah. was the opposite of selfish. Selfishness offends me. Yeah. So when you just told that story, I got bothered uh-huh. because people were being unfair. They mm-hmm. were saying, I want my team to have mm-hmm. things that you don't get. That's That's corruption. I don't like that. That bothers mm-hmm. me. So I think that one phrase I just wanted to try to adjust and give people a thought as you were saying, I don't really understand why we can't, and I understand what you meant, but we don't want to it because it bothers us. We don't want to be bothered. We want to be right. We want all our good stuff. It's selfishness. There's yeah. so much of it yeah. that says, I don't care what reality
0: is. Yeah. Does it work for me? Yeah. And that drives
1: me crazy right
0: yeah no I'm with you I'll give you kind of a more serious example I've, I, I have posed questions like this sort of publicly in the past and it's always kind of amazing to me how much it agitates people so so back in in 2016 uh, members member of the Supreme Court died and at the time President Obama wanted to nominate uh, somebody else to take his place and Mitch McConnell Republican leader of the Senate at the time said you know no we're not gonna we're not we're not gonna uh, vote on the nomination. The people ought to have a chance to determine, you know, who their nominee is referring to. We should wait until after the election is over. And, and that was, of course, extremely controversial. And I posted a question online and I said, however you feel about what's going on right now, whether you think this gentleman should be voted on now, or if you think it should be that, that McConnell is right, that it should be, you know, uh, that that you should wait, however you feel about it now. Would you feel the same if a Republican was in power right now? Mm -hmm. However you feel. Doesn't matter. If if the feelings, if the if you would feel differently with a Republican in power, that is a moral emergency that you need to pay attention to. People got totally offended. People started posting all this stuff, you know, well, what about this? What about this? Trying to show examples of like Democrats doing the same thing. And like, well, Brian, what do you think of this? And I said, I think that's wrong, too. (laughs) Right. Like, it's not that hard. Yeah, it's I pose these questions of like, I'd say the same thing now, whatever you think of what's going on with President Trump, if he was a Democrat, what would you think in terms of the Russia stuff and all of that? If your opinion of it would be different, that to me is a moral emergency that you care more about your side than you do about reality. Now, you might think things personally about, well, I like him. I don't like him. I hope he does great. I hope he does poorly. But in terms of what you think about what is actually going on, if that is adjusted, it's just like. That's a foul when the other team does it, but not when my team does it. Kind of thing. It's the same thing. Same concept. Sports are silly. I think with these broader societal issues, we have a very difficult time having rational public debate about things when we can't agree on, hey, we're gonna we're gonna look at these issues the same regardless of whose side it supports. It goes
1: back to the phrase, we condemn in others what we excuse in ourselves, right? right. Um, We will say something is a horrific sin, but we are justified because we're the the excuse, we're the example.
0: Uh, Anyway, um, okay, what else? Yeah, so uh, even in saying all of that, I recognize that I am not immune to many of kind of the different cognitive biases we talk about. I'm not immune to exactly what I have just said irritates me. I'm not immune to those very same things. That's right. Those things are hardwired into my brain as well. Uh, Something I've said before is that nobody thinks they're a liar, but nearly all of us believe lies in one form or another. Uh, You know, we all have blind spots and there's a reason why we can't see them. They're called blind spots, blind spots, right? So so if we're going to be people who tell the truth, we need each other and we don't need to take everybody's opinion into account, but we need to be around people who we trust enough to say, well, when that person says, Hey, I I think you're seeing this wrong, that that carries some weight with us. Right. Right. And if we don't do that, then we run the risk of continuing to kind of go off in our blind spots, continuing to be, uh, kind of, you know, pulled aside by our own biases and things like that. And that's, highly highly problematic. And then with that, I mean, I just in the way that I live my life and you've kind of alluded to this as well for you. Like I want to be a person who tells the truth. Yes. Like I just I, I had a pastor the, the guy who pastored the church I went to in college. He talked about this in terms of talking to people about about the Lord, talking to them about about Jesus. Yeah. Is he would say it's it's helpful to talk to people to say, you know, to ask them, what are your spiritual beliefs? And would you want to know if you were wrong? I think those are powerful questions. First of Very. all. Very not all of us are even reflecting on what our spiritual beliefs are. So saying, what do you believe about spirituality? And then just even asking that question, would you want to know if you were wrong? I think that's a fantastic question to ask about all sorts of issues. Would you want to know if you were wrong about the way you think about an issue? Would you want to know if you were wrong about a theological position? Would you want to know if you were wrong about your opinion about some random person or about your spouse, you know? And I've just kind of tried to live my life in a way where I, like, I'd always answer that question, yes. Like, I want to know if I'm wrong, because, like, finding out you're wrong, as humiliating as it can be, to allude to what we talked about earlier, finding out you're wrong is actually a gift, because you don't have to be wrong anymore.
1: <laughs> okay, yes and no. Okay. Yes and All right, so I'm going to go 90% with you. Okay. All right, so there is 10% I want to live and lie. Yep. And here's why. <laughs> here's why. Number one, I don't want to know what's in hot dogs. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to eat them, and I don't want to know, because if I know, I won't be able to enjoy my hot dog. Um, and I think that, uh, I, I want to believe that when I fish, that the fishy can't feel the hook when I unhook it and he goes back in the water. So, cause if I, if he can feel it and it hurts him really bad, then I won't fish anymore. So, so here's the deal. There are some things that you look and you go, if I learn this truth, what is the cost? Yeah. And does it ultimately matter to me? So if somebody says, Hey, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, what are your thoughts Mm-hmm. And would you want to hear if you're wrong? They may go, I don't think about very highly of religion at mm-hmm. all. So I'm Hindu. And if you told me I'm wrong, it doesn't make a difference. I'm mm-hmm. not really that much of a Hindu. So, no. yeah, you can tell me yeah. I'm wrong and I'm just moving on. I'm still going to be called a Hindu because I'm not really a Hindu. Right. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So I do think that there's a certain degree to where we're like, no, I'll live with lie in that area because it doesn't matter enough to me or I'm not willing to pay the cost for the truth. You know what I'm I saying? Think, yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Um, so, okay, I know you have
0: more. No, you're. These yeah. are great. Yeah. No. Okay. I mean, so keep going. Well, I think Tell that's me. good. Okay. So then, also, uh, being sort of naive about the world around us—that yes. carries a real cost and has yes. real consequences. Yes. When when we hurt, when it, it, people do get hurt, and when we're naive. To the world around us, we are susceptible to influence by bad actors and people who don't want yes. to use us for their for their causes. So, I mean, I think that, you know, we, we joke about sort of ignorance is bliss. Well, that's really not true. That any area in which I am ignorant, I am susceptible to manipulation. I don't know a lot about cars, right? So when I go to get my car worked on and the guy comes to me and says, you need X, Y, and Z done, yep. that like that I am subject to manipulation in that moment. And I have my guard up big time, right? When I need to get my HVAC system looked at, I have a guy who I trust and I've said, I'm not looking for a deal. I'll pay you what it costs. I want you to be the one who looks at it because I know that you'll tell me the truth. That's it. Right. And the fact of the matter is if, if you and I are naive about what's going on in the world, we're not paying attention and we're not thinking critically. Again, People who want to use us to advance their agendas, which may or may not be positive, uh, we are susceptible to that sort of a thing, and that's a problem, especially in the church. To get back to my point earlier, when the world sees us being deluded by all sorts of falsehood, and we're mixing that in with talk yep, about Jesus, that's right. That's right. It affects our witness profoundly.
1: Right? No. Uh, yeah, I think that that's very, very true. I think the danger that comes in um, of of just being ignorant, right? Of of being naive that someone so for example um th- this will be kind of a, a funny little example so, so uh, one of our pastors sent me the other day um, an article that said that Elevation Church just put in a water slide into oh, their right. baptism. <laughs> right? And, and um, you know, hilarious, right? Because, yeah. you know, Ele- Elevation's a big church and people are, you know, ooh, wow, Steve Furtick, Pastor Steven Furtick, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, then they're like, oh, you know, that's what's wrong with the church today. People are now, they're screwing around with baptism. Okay, it was by the Babylon Bee. Right. Okay, that is the Christian version of the onion. Yeah, it's right? satire. It's, it's supposed to be satire. Fake. It is fake. Right. Okay, so once again, here's the problem, though. Yeah. I don't think everyone knows the Babylon Bee is a satire. Yeah. And some people may well start forwarding it and saying, Uh look at what those modern churches are doing. Uh Uh-huh. Well, all of a sudden, the modern church gets a bad reputation. Yeah. For something that actually they never did. Yeah. And so— that idea of being duped. Yeah. Once again, we go back to that. I, I don't think that we want to be duped. I don't want to live suspicious, but at the same time, you have certain responsibility that if you're going to forward mm-hmm. something, if you're you need to know whether or not it's legit. Yeah.
0: Did you know maybe you and I talked about this? There was actually a big story early on in the days of the Babylon Bee that really got sort of the like this is not nice, I'm going to say it anyway. Sort of the paranoid wing of Christianity really up in arms. Yes. There was this story that local authorities investigating church for refusing to play oceans. And <laughs> it was satire. It's a joke. It's funny. <laughs> That's oceans was song. super popular at the time. Yes. Man, I saw it. it was all over social media. This is what's happening. The government is cracking down and, da, 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 da. and it was just like it's
1: satire, joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. Yeah. It's and a so joke. once again, uh, and so I think that maybe if we believe something it's one sort of damaging. If yeah. we pass it on yeah. and label it with
0: truth, Yeah, we just did more damage. Right. Yeah. No, you're absolutely, yeah, you're absolutely right. Again, it affects our credibility. I think there's, there's another side to this as well. When we refuse to tell the truth or when we have an extreme emotional reaction to being challenged, that says something about our identity right? For sure. That our identity is found in our tribe, that our identity is found in our opinions, that our identity is found in in these various labels that we carry for ourselves. When one of the great resources of our faith is we don't actually have to have our identity found in these things. I don't have to have my identity found in what people think about me. I don't have to have my identity be found in my accomplishments. I sure as heck, don't have to have my identity found in my very fallible opinions because my identity is in Christ. That's right. So that means when my, and I, cause I think this is what is behind a lot of the, um, uh, a lot of the extreme reaction we see in, in the world today is we have found our identity in our opinion. Yes. And, and one of the great resources again of our faith is that Jesus frees us from that. He says, no, actually you can be wrong and people can make fun of you for it, and you can have to go through the humiliation of changing, but that's okay because what made you valuable was not your opinion. What made you valuable was that you're my child, and I love you, and and I I, I, I speak value and life into you, and that's what matters the most. Yes.
1: Your intellect is not the most important thing about you, so even if your intellect is wrong, I still love you, and you're valuable because I made you. Um, One thing, and I I want to be real clear on this because – Uh, Let me say the phrase and then I'm going to back up and clarify. All right. So the phrase is, is that emotions tend to blow when foundation is weak. Hmm, That's good. And what I mean by that is that if you are certain and steady in who you are and what's going on, there's no need to overreact. Overreaction tends to be a defense mechanism that, oh, no, I'm going to get pushed over. Oh, no, I'm unstable. That nervousness, that reaction. Now, where I wanted to clarify is that does not mean that emotions are weak, mm-hmm. that emotion, emotional people are weak people. Mm-hmm. They don't have any foundation. No, no, no. Sure, yeah. I'm talking about different types of emotion. Mm-hmm. There can be um, people that are emotional that are more in touch with how God designed them. Than somebody that's not, right? Oh, so I'm no not question. saying stoic yeah. is better. Yeah, What I'm simply saying is that if you're noticing that your emotions very easily trigger, especially in something that you're confronted with, yeah, it will tend to be because you have a weak founding yeah. of that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They can knock you over. If you come up and there's a little one-year-old crawling towards you or whatever, mm-hmm. I don't even know if one-year-olds crawl, <laughs> um, and they're crawling towards you, you're not afraid you're going to get knocked down. You go, I'm a standing adult, so you don't have to brace yourself. Right. If a lineman comes at you, (laughs) you're going to get knocked over. And so you tense up, your emotions come in, you all of a sudden are heightened, and you have this adrenaline rush. Why? Because you know you're going to get knocked over. Right. So what I notice is in a lot of debates, when emotions are high, it usually means that people are afraid that their view is actually unstable. Yeah. Or... The only other time is when they feel like they believe that they're right... But they believe that popular opinion will overwhelm their rightness.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. Can I can I get nerdy on you again oh, with another yeah. cognitive Boom. bias that what you just said reminded me of? Uh, they call it the backfire effect—the reaction to disconfirming evidence by strengthening one's previous beliefs. Oh yeah. That when we're that this is this is a a, a scientifically verified phenomenon, and that you know we're not all susceptible to it, but many of us are. Is that being presented with information that challenges our beliefs actually has the effect Effect of reinforcing them. Yes, and we'll I, dig in deeper, and I think that's exactly what you're describing. That when we're when we're unsteady, when we're unsure, when we feel that we're challenged Threaten. and that makes us feel icky. Threatened is, is probably a better word than challenged. Uh, that that's going to stir up all this like crazy yes. emotion. When the fact of the matter is, I think when you think about it, and I'm not a guy, it's interesting. I get really fired up about things that don't matter because I just, I like the sort of adrenaline rush of yes. getting excited at a sporting event or whatever. But I'm always in control. Like that's always a, a, a value of mine. It's like I'm never like emotionally out of control. And I tend to be very sort of stoic about things I actually care a lot about mm-hmm. just because like, I don't know. I think, I think it's kind of what you said where I'm like, well, the core convictions I have, Yep. I've really thought a lot about them. I've invested a lot of mental energy into yep. thinking about what I think. And I'm, and I'm pretty sure I'm right about right. a lot of stuff. I'm not going to say I'm right about everything, but the things that are really fundamental to who I am. So like when someone challenges them, like I don't really get all like emotionally worked up over some like random atheist blog, like I'm whatever, like fine, Do, you know. I support free speech, so I support your right to do what you do. But I'm like, like I'm not personally offended by it well, you're because not I'm scared. Just, I'm not exactly. I'm not scared. Or, or you look at a social issue where I've really done a lot of work. Like I'm not going to get in like a big emotional argument with somebody over them because I'm pretty settled in what I think. Whereas, as I think, even I who 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 tend to not be real super emotionally expressive, like I said about important stuff in general, I, I, I could be triggered a lot more by areas that that touch on insecurity, right? I mean, would you agree for yourself? Oh, totally.
1: So for me, I am exactly the same way as you are. I I believe I'm right mm-hmm. in pretty much everything. Cuz if I didn't, I would, change, would change my change. mind. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> but but here's where I fall prey is that I'm that other person that I get scared and insecure that I believe that truth isn't going to carry the day. Hmm. Yeah. I believe that I'm right. I just don't think everyone else is going to recognize that I'm right yeah. and I believe that the societal movement, the social will overwhelm what is right, and I go, oh, no, I'm losing the room. Hmm. So I actually tend to get defensive and emotional for that reason, Yeah, but it still shows
0: there's insecurity. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Now, our our, our last thought, I think when it comes to telling the truth about ourselves, we we sort of started the conversation with – with that and the, the importance of telling the truth about ourselves. And I think I want to end with just, you know, forget about our opinions about other stuff. I meet with so many people. I talk with so many people who just have a hard time grappling with who they are and, and, and kind of want to live in sort of a a facade world. And, and like, I get that to a degree that having to encounter the truth of of who we are is, is agitating, right? Like there's this, um, this personality tool that I'm really into learning about right now called the Enneagram, which, which you know, you're smiling and, and I can tell you're rolling your eyes even though you're not because anyway, we talk about it a lot. But part of the challenge of the Enneagram is nobody comes out of it clean. Yes. If you're going to kind of figure out your type on the Enneagram, you have to deal with some junk. Right. Yeah. So like my wife and I were on vacation recently and as we're driving, she's reading to me out of an Enneagram book that we're sort of reading together. And it was like, we would alternate reading about our respective types. Like we'd read about her type and then my type and go back and forth because reading about your own type for too long <laughs> oh, it's is a little humiliating. depressing. You're like, okay. But tell ah, them what the Enneagram is. What's it measuring? What, what's it? I mean, it's measuring baseline motivations and oh, kind of okay. deep level, like deep level. What is it that motivates you to be who you are? Why and you what do what it. you do? Exactly. Why you do what you do. It's yes. sort of the it's the foundation that you're building kind of your your life on. And any of the nine types, there's lots of positives and lots of of challenges to each one. But but here's my point. I don't mean to get too far into the weeds of the Enneagram. But the point is. I just as I've been studying that, I have felt in my spirit the difficulty of having to be honest about yes. my shortcomings. And it's not fun. It's not. I don't enjoy that. I want to think that I'm always nice to everybody. I want to think that I'm rational all the time. I want to think that I don't make selfish decisions and all of that. Or I wanna think that think that I can be present with people in difficult moments when no, I don't have a tendency to wanna to flee when things get emotionally challenging. Like ah dang it, yes I do. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I have to deal with That's those right. realities. But but here's the deal. If we we're going to look at this from a purely humanistic perspective, or, or we're going to look at it from some other sort of non-Christian perspective in which we don't have a gracious and loving God. Yes. That is extraordinarily difficult to do. Yes. Because if I have to deal with my imperfections, what else is there? Yes. But our Christian worldview is of such benefit in in these sorts of scenarios of just of of doing this sort of deep self reflection why because we do not need to be afraid of what we'll uncover as we have to deal with our flaws because god who knows our flaws better than we do loves us perfectly in them, that he died to redeem them, that he sees what there's nothing we're going to discover in ourselves that God has not already discovered and said, I am in the process of redeeming that for my glory. And I love you anyway. So there is a safety in self reflection for us as Christ followers that I believe is unmatched in any other worldview that I'm aware
1: of. So true. We did a, um, a, Every year at Bridgeway, we do a worship prayer and healing night where we go all out in prayer. We're praying for extreme stuff. And in order to prepare for that, we do a preparation night, which is basically a time to get our hearts clear with God. Mm -hmm. And one year I asked um, a a local pastor here, Pastor Francis Infuso, a, a super good friend of mine from the Rock of Roseville. And I asked him to do an introduction and we were going to do uh, confession and mm-hmm. repentance, uh-huh. which of course is a scary thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're going, wait, I'm going to confess what before the Lord? Right. And he said, and I asked him to say a few words, and he said, you know what? Everyone, I need you to just stop for a second. The God you're about to confess to is a good and loving father. Yeah. He already knows, yep. and he loves you anyway. Yep. When you confess, you're confronting it but he's not seeing it for the first time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he has already determined that that was paid for on the cross, that he has already determined that his love for you is total. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's this idea of coming and having to admit that you broke the neighbor's window to a parent that is selfishness and mean and nasty and abusive to you versus a parent that is loving and says, you know what, let's go over to the neighbor's house together. Mm-hmm. I'll be right there by your side. Yeah. There is something in Christianity that brings about a safety and a trust and a, a security. Yep,
0: totally. Yep. yep, I remember that. That was, that was a great night, and I, I remember Francis sharing that stuff, and it's that's just so powerful. So, uh, well— we have solved all of the world's dilemmas with truth-telling, and and, and, and attacked this from every possible angle. So, uh, good to be back with you, Lance. Glad to, that we're both back from kind of our little summer breaks, and um, hope that this conversation was helpful for you. And 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 more than anything, just hope that you realize that that God's love for you is so great that it that it persists in our self-examination. It persists even as we try to tell the truth about the world around us and just kind of be honest about that. So, uh, hope the episode was helpful for you you, and please be sure to join us again in two weeks for another episode of Engaging Culture.
1: Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by
0: Dexter Britton.